Well, good morning. I want to go ahead and get started. I'm uh, thank you for allowing me to be just a few minutes late from a service I had to do, but I am glad to be with you today as we come to the final lesson of the Gospel of John, chapter 21. We will look at the last 10 verses of the Gospel of John. This is uh, this is a very important set of verses that I left for its own time and lesson. This whole last chapter, 21, is, is a unique chapter in the Gospel. We talked about last week how John really made the case for the resurrection of Jesus as uh, being the Messiah and uh, God, the God incarnate, the God made flesh, and that he truly was resurrected in the flesh by the words of Thomas as he showed himself in his proof to the disciples both those two times, the last one with Thomas, and, and finished uh, what sounded like the end of the gospel in chapter 20, but yet he had uh, more he wanted to say. In this 21st chapter, we saw last week how he talked about this amazing catch of fish and all the things that that meant and all that things that that meant to uh, them and their their ability to uh, realize that Jesus was uh, was calling them. They were going to be the church. They were going to be the uh, the 153, as you recall, that unique representation of, of the whole world. Uh, but he saves this time for Peter. You know, there was a couple of things that happened around the context of them having breakfast. Christ had a charcoal fire. We saw that that was... Something that is only used twice in the whole of Scripture, a charcoal fire, both times around Peter. So Peter gathered around a charcoal fire when he denied the Lord. He's gathered around a charcoal fire here as they cook the breakfast. And now they're going to, we're going to see Christ ministering to Peter and restoring Peter for the purpose of the church. This is very important. This whole last chapter is really uh, speaking to the church. So, if you missed last week, go back and listen to the podcast. It is up, and you can kind of lead into what I'm about to say. So, let's begin with a prayer. If you have a prayer card with you, uh, let's just open and ask the Lord to enlighten our minds as we open His Word. Illumine our hearts, O Master, lover of all humanity, with the pure light of your divine knowledge. Open the eyes of our hearts that we may understand your gospel teachings. Implant deep within us the fear of your blessed commandments, that through them we may conquer all carnal desires and be transformed to live both thinking and doing the things that are pleasing to you. For you, O Lord, are the light of our souls and bodies, and unto you we give glory and praise together with our Father, who is from everlasting and the all-holy good and life-creating spirit, now and ever and unto ages of ages. Amen. So let us read the last ten verses of the Gospel of John together. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, Feed my lambs. And a second time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, Tend my sheep. And he said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he had said to him the third time, Do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, Feed my sheep. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you girded yourself and walked where you would. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands, and another will gird you and carry you where you do not wish to go. And this he said to show by what death he was to glorify God. And after this, he said to him, follow me. 
And Peter turned and saw following them the disciple whom Jesus loved, who had laid close to his breast at the supper and had said, Lord, who is it that is going to betray you? And when Peter saw him, he said to Jesus, Lord, what about this man? And Jesus said to him, If it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? Follow me. And the saying spread abroad among the brethren that this disciple was not to die. Yet Jesus did not say to him that he was not to die. But if it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? Now this is the disciple who is bearing witness to these things and who has written these things and we know that his testimony is true. But there are also many other things which Jesus did. Were every one of them to be written, I suppose that the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. And thus ends the Gospel of John. Let's try and put ourselves into that scene, if we will. It's a week or so. It's We know they're past eight days. We don't know exactly when, but the second appearance of Jesus was eight days after the first appearance. This is the third appearance of Jesus to his disciples. So we know they're back in Galilee. We know they've been fishing. And we know that they, Lord called them from the boat and said, come to here and eat with me. And they have this fire. So they're sitting around the fire. Uh, we remember there was... Uh, Seven of them there. This wasn't the whole company of the twelve. Even a few that weren't necessarily of the twelve, uh, it said with them. And and they're having breakfast of fish and bread. Okay, We saw in that uh, a very uh, meaningful, the fish itself is a very meaningful. We talked about the acrostic or the acronym, whatever that is, of the meaning of the letters and why the fish represents Christian uh, uh, Christianity. And we saw uh, the bread, of course. Any time we see them eating bread, we see this is a beautiful symbol of Jesus provides bread. He is the bread of life. Jesus is the source of all life. And in this breakfast, at some point, Jesus begins to talk to Peter, just to Peter. It says when they'd finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter. Now, we don't know. If you look at verse 20, it says... Uh, it gives you the implication that they're walking away. Uh, look at verse 20. It says, And Peter turned and saw following them the disciple whom Jesus loved. Now, we don't know if they're walking away because Jesus said at the end of verse 19, Follow me. Okay. That could have a, two meanings. It could mean follow me. Like, uh, you know, follow me. He said that when he first called Peter. Come and follow me. You know, and I will make you fishers of men. It could have been that that kind of spiritual calling, follow me, because he's talking. We're going to talk about what it meant when he said to feed my sheep, tend my lambs. Or it could have been that he said, follow me. Like, hey, come here, follow me. And he begins to walk away because he has something more that he even wants to say. We don't know. but it's So whether they were walking away first or what, I think it might be that he actually said what he said to Peter about the sheep and the restaurant. I think that was in the presence around the fire because the purpose of those words to Peter are very important and everyone needed to hear those things. Clearly, John heard them because John's writing about them. So that's why I think it happened that they were set around the fire and, and then they must have turned and said, follow me, and he walks away. And John begins to follow because John is intrigued by what's happening here and he wants to be... He's also very uh, moved by what Jesus has said. If you're Peter right now, how are you probably feeling? The Lord's been risen. We know he's been risen. You've seen him twice. But how are you feeling at about this time of breakfast? And you've been fishing all night. What, what do you think Peter's feeling? I think he's overwhelmed. Overwhelmed? Okay. Mm-hmm. As really how to decipher what's going on. Okay, yeah, definitely. Do you think Peter might have even been a bit discouraged and maybe even depressed over the fact that this is the brave 
say it all, I love you more than anyone guy. And he let Jesus down three times. This is the guy who was their anointed leader. Peter was the leader of the twelve, no question about it. Jesus even gave him special privilege with the keys to the kingdom. And he let him down. Not only let his Lord down by denying him three times, he let his leadership roll down. Remember Peter? Peter was the rock. The name Peter even means rock. Okay? And and the Lord gave him that name when he called him. At that point, remember in, in Matthew chapter 16, it shares that when Peter confesses that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, Jesus says, Blessed are you, Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church. For the fact is, he'd never been called Peter. That was a name Christ gave him to represent his, his role, his office as the rock upon which their, their leader would be and that the church would be founded. And so I imagine he's discouraged struggling to figure out where's his place in life now. Yes? Did he ask him three times, do you love me? Did he what? Say that again. I'm ask, sorry. I took a drink of coffee. Did he ask him in this three yeah. times, do you love me? Yes. Yes. So what, he, what does that make you died, think? Denied him? Isn't that a beautiful parallel? Three times Peter denied him. Three times Jesus, Jesus says, do you love me? Okay, let's look at those words. We're going to look at the Greek words, too, because they're very important here, the Greek words are. Uh, they, they shed some light that the English doesn't shed for us here. But let's just look into this. First clue we have that I think that Jesus is really trying to communicate to Peter, something very important, is that he no longer calls him Peter or Simon Peter. What does he call him? Simon, son of Jonah, Simon, son of Jonah or John. That's his original name. Simon is his name. And Peter's now calling him Simon. I mean, Jesus is now calling him Simon, not Peter. That has to sink into Peter. Everybody's been calling him Peter. Okay? We can remember back at the, not in, in this gospel, but when, when, when I think it was one of the other gospels where it says, you know, at the tomb when the ladies, when Jesus was speaking to Mary, or maybe it was this when I get confused, he said, remember he said, go and tell the disciples and Peter. Remember that? And Peter. Why and Peter? Because Peter had a special role. He knows Peter has been the one that's denied him three times, and he knows Peter is hurting. And so now he says to Peter, your name is Simon. You're Simon, son of John. And the way I'm talking to you has a point here. So he says to Simon, Simon, do you love me? Now, if we could read into those words and we try to think, what, what all might Jesus have meant by that? Do you love me? I think it's like there was the elephant in the room. Okay. I mean, you know there's an issue, but nobody wants to yeah. bring it out. Yeah. And, and, of course, Jesus always goes right to the heart of the elephant in the room. Right to the heart of the real issue, the elephant in the room. Jesus wants to know because Peter's actions didn't show that he did. Not the way that he needs him to. Not the way that Christ wants all of us to love him. And so the Greek word here becomes real important. There are two, there are really four Greek words for the word love that would translate into the English word love. But for this morning, we have two that we want to speak of. There are two used in this passage. And the first one is the word agape. We would, tra English translate agape love. Agape. A-G-A-P-E. Agape. It's actually agapao in Greek. Agapao. Now, that is the term that has as its best understood meaning an unconditional love. The love God has for his creation, the love that he calls forth from us to have for him and for each other and for the whole world. Unconditional love, agapeo, agapao. And that's what Jesus says to Peter. Do you agape me? Do you love me, Peter, really unconditionally? That's a tough question. And Peter responds, Lord, you know I love you. But Peter responds with a different word. 
Peter responds with the word phileo. Phileo, which is Greek also, means love. But it means more of a brotherly love, a sentimental love, okay? Um, the, the word Philadelphia. Delphia means brother or cousin or close relative, that sort of thing. And phileo or phila from that root, those put those two words together, you get the city of brotherly love. It's a Greek word, Philadelphia, the city of brotherly love. And that's so that Peter, Peter answers him. You know I phileo you. And so Jesus says, then tend, is it tend or sheep? Tend my, no, feed my lambs. Feed my lambs. What is he asking Peter to do by feed my lambs? He's inviting Peter back into ministry. Okay? Your role is to feed my lamb. Now, these guys weren't physical shepherds. Remember, they're, they're, they're fishermen. Okay? But they're shepherds now because they're called to be pastors. Okay, Pastors of the church, pastors of the flock. Pastor, who are the lambs? Why did Jesus use? He uses both lambs and he uses sheep. sheep. What Are we to gain something from that differentiation? Who would the lambs be? Lambs are pretty helpless. Helpless, young. So maybe young believers, young helpless people that are not even believers yet. See, what I think we want to be careful not to read into this idea that Jesus' lambs and his sheep are just the church. Right. Everyone is God's child. Everyone is God's sheep. Some are in the pen, some aren't. Some are part of this fold or that fold. But Jesus makes it clear in the Gospels, and we studied this way back, uh, a while, that there's only one flock. Okay, There are many folds. And I might have reversed those two words, can't remember now. But um, here, here's my point. There's going to be helpless people in and, within and without the church. You're called to minister to them. You're called to shepherd them. You need to feed them. He goes on to say again a second time, Jesus says, Peter, do you love me? Jesus again uses that word, agape. Do you agape me? Same question. And Peter answers a second time the same way. Lord, you know I phileo you. You know I love you. And he says, this time, feed my sheep, then feed my sheep. Again, sheep represent a more mature animal, the more mature people. Here's the flock of the, we see the, the main flock of the church. We see this pastoral role, what he's tending to do. You know, the, the fact that these are the first pastors of the churches, these, these, these apostles, is very clear in that Jesus uses this analogy of shepherding and sheep. We know John chapter 10, Jesus said, I am the good shepherd. Jesus is our good shepherd. He is our chief pastor, if you will. And, you know, these were fishermen. He doesn't say to you, I'm going to, the most important thing here is you go out and catch fish. No, the most important thing here is that you feed my lambs and my sheep, that you tend them, that you take care of them. And you can only do that if you love me. So he's calling forth from me. He's drawing out of Peter as best he can this idea of how do you love me? Why is that so important? Because, you know, the reality is Peter was the brash one. He was the strong one. He was the one that always said, I'll do anything for you, Lord. Um, just in the interest of time, somebody look back up, because uh, uh, I, so I'm not flipping through pages. Mark, would you look up a scripture here and uh, look up, uh, I think it's, let's see, look at in my notes here. Got so many notes, I'm scribbling all over my page. Um, I want to say it's Luke, yeah, Mark, the Gospel of Mark, chapter 14. The Gospel of Mark, chapter 14. We're going to read that in just a minute, verse 29. Um, and then I want to refer to uh, a couple of other passages that are in the Gospel of John. We've already studied them. We don't have to look them up. But I want to talk about this use of the, of the two words here, this agape and phileo, because that's what everyone centers on in this study of chapter 21. 
And so many, you've heard sermons, no doubt. You've heard sermons and Sunday school lessons and all kinds of things taught about the difference between these two words and, and, and what it means. But I, I think there may be, in my studies, I've learned a little bit deeper meaning than maybe has become obvious to us that we're going to look at. But do you have Mark 14, 29? Read that for us. This is Gospel of Mark, chapter 14, verse 29. Just, just verse 29? Yeah. Okay. Peter declared... Even if all fall away, I will not. Peter declared, even if all fall away, I will not. And then he went right out and did it. That was right before the, the, you know, uh, that was in the the garden the last night of Jesus' life. So what, what is Peter saying? Even if all fall away, I will not. Peter is saying, I love you more than anyone. I'm more committed to you than anyone. I'm more committed to you than these. You know, there'd been some tension, uh, you know, about some of them even said when Jesus, you know, a little bit earlier had said, hey, we got to go back to Jerusalem. Some of them said, wait a minute, they're trying to kill us in Jerusalem. We just got out of there. You want us to go back? You know, uh, so Peter is has gone on record as saying, I love you, Lord, more than anyone. And so this is again, but his actions didn't prove that. He denied the Lord three times when it was so important. And so Christ is ministering to Peter. He's offering him the opportunity to speak those words of love back to him. But Peter can't quite speak them the way Jesus is asking, can he? He he can't bring himself to say, I agape you, Lord, you know I do. So let's think about that for a minute. He can't. Why can't he say what Jesus is asking him to say? I think because he already admits that he disproved himself with That's right. denying. That's right. He's got he's he's he feels guilty. Mm-hmm. He he knows he's let the Lord down. He knows he's mouthed off and been brash, but yet not backed it up. He knows he's failed the Lord. He is in let's face it, he can't forgive himself. Peter loves Jesus, no doubt. But the only way he can express it is to say, somehow I love you differently than you're asking me to love you because I've proved that by my actions. But Jesus is relentless. Jesus doesn't stop. Jesus asks him three times because he failed him three times. What is Jesus doing? Jesus is meeting Peter right where he is. I know you feel that three is a big number to Peter. Peter, can you imagine him... In his guilt, think, I let the Lord down three, not once, not twice, three times. He's got to be thinking that to himself. And in, and in this process, he hears the Lord asking three times. And interestingly enough, the third reaction, the third uh, time that Jesus talks to him, it's a little different, isn't it? In, it says here that in verse 17, When Jesus asked him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Third time, Jesus' word is different now. Okay, Jesus, if you don't get this in the English, you got to read the Greek to get this. Jesus says there in that third question to Peter, do you phileo me? Simon, son of John, do you phileo me? That had to be so immediate and obvious to Peter. But you're asking me differently than you just did. Was he? And Peter's response, it says here he was grieved. You know, he could just, John could just tell. John's observing all of this, listening, you know. And he could just tell Peter was grieved. You've had to come and stoop to ask me three times because I've let you down three times. And now you say to me, do you love me? The way I'm saying I love you. And I, I think there's something so important for us to learn here. Um, I'd always heard this taught that it was all about just this unconditional versus brotherly, that the, the unconditional love is a greater, stronger love, and the brotherly love is just kind of a not so... Uh, not so uh, how shall we say, wholesome or just so perfect of love. Interestingly enough, 
there are a lot of scholars divided over this thought. Some scholars say that the phileo word is actually stronger. That to have that, to, to really love our brothers, as the Great Commission says, to love the Great Commandment, love your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, to love each other as you do yourself. That's a, that, that's a very powerful thing. Some scholars say that's more stronger than to agape. Yes? Just thinking that <clears throat> you lay down your life for your brother. Yeah. Yeah. That's the ultimate test of it, isn't it? Now, here's what's interesting. John himself, remember John has used this. John's writing this, okay? He's writing it the way he remembers it, the way he knows that Jesus' use of the two different words of love. And John has always referred to himself, we've seen, as the one whom Jesus loved. Okay, in John chapter 13, 19, and 21. John 13, 23, John 19, 26, and John 21, 7. Jesus, I mean, John uses that phrase, the one whom Jesus loved, talking about himself in the third person, the one whom Jesus loved. And in all three of those, John used the word agape. Okay? But in John chapter 20, the very... Uh, verse 2, that was last week, we could look back and see that he says that same phrase, the one whom Jesus loved, but John used the word phileo. So there is some, most scholars see that there is some context here that John himself used the word phileo and agape intermittently, I mean interchangeably, okay? He, He used it clearly interchangeably in all four of those instances. So, wonder what light that sheds on why Jesus was so careful to always to ask the first two times with the agape, the unconditional, the perfect, and the second time with the brotherly. I found some some research here by um, a biblical scholar who is his name is if you want his name his name is Father Lawrence Farley. He's an Eastern Orthodox priest in Canada. And he has a podcast and, and some Bible commentaries out there. And, and Father Lawrence Farley said this. He said, he said, I believe that it's less, ab- everybody concentrates on the verb use, the verb agape to love, you know, or, or phileo. He said, I think it's less about the verb. And it's more about the fact that Christ sees in the heart and wants to meet Peter where his heart is. Think that through with me for a minute, That's okay? Really this is really good. That's a great observation. I've never read it by anybody else. That's why he changed it from agape to love. Right. Peter continued to respond to him. Yes. In agape, I mean in Baleo. And so Jesus accommodated him because he wanted to reach his heart. He wanted to reach his Jesus knew Peter's heart. Jesus wanted to make sure he reached his heart and he was willing to condescend from his agape love to this phileo love. I'll meet you however you need me to meet you. Instead of trying to Peter's mind. That's right. He didn't lecture Peter and say, well, you know, Peter, (laughs) you know, you really should love me unconditionally because I'm God. And you know, I did die for you. (laughs) And not to mention, you know, I'm saving your reputation here by doing this. You know, Jesus wouldn't do that. Jesus, that's right, we're called to be like Jesus, right? That's what it means to be a Christian. Jesus meets Peter where he is. I love that thought. Okay, Peter, do you phileo me? And Peter says, you know everything, Lord. You know my heart. You know everything. Yes, I do phileo you. And so immediately, what does Jesus do but to tell Peter how he's going to die? Wow. You know, there wasn't this warm, embracing moment that uh, gives him the prediction of this long life and leadership of the church, an exalted, honored position. You know, the, the, the brothers are going to think of you as the first among uh, the primacy of the apostles, first among the church and everything. No, he doesn't do that. He just says to him, then feed my sheep. For truly, truly, I say to you, and when Jesus uses the words truly, truly, remember we've learned that means amen, amen in Hebrew, amen, amen. Okay, this is what I'm about to say to you. 
take it down because this is truth. Okay, not that everything Jesus says isn't true, but it's just an emphatic way of bringing it to their. Uh, amen, amen. I say to you, when you were young, you girded yourself and walked where you would, but when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will gird you and carry you where you do not wish to go. And then in parentheses, John just explains to us what Jesus means there. This is Jesus telling Peter how he's going to glorify God in his death. To stretch out your hands meant, uh, and history teaches us, Peter died. Do you know how? Crucifixion. That's right. That's the way Jesus died. He was crucified. But, what did you say, Mark? Upside down. He chose to do it upside down. He didn't feel worthy to die as his Lord did, so he made him crucify him upside down. And, you know, in order to carry the cross, if you're going to be crucified, you stretch out your arms and they tie that beam to you so that you can carry it. And so there's this loaded with, with uh, you know, a prophecy here. This is what's going to happen to you, Peter. You, When you were young, like right now, you know, Peter's still probably a young, considered a young man at this point. You, you go where you want to go. You do what you want to do. You dress yourself. When you're old, it's all going to change. They're going to take you where you don't want to go. Going to do what you don't want them to do. And after he said that, again he repeats these words. Follow me. Follow me. When that had to be a sobering thought to Peter. I think it, it had to be, I think it helped, I really do think it helped Peter solidify his understanding of the love of God, the love of Jesus using that agape. Wow, he just you're telling me, Lord, that I'm going to end up dying like you did, crucified? Boy, you love, and you, you're telling me you love me unconditionally? You're willing to take me, the guy that failed three times, the guy that was always mouthing off, you're willing to take me and make me the leader of this group? After all I've done, well, you must really trust me. And Jesus did trust Peter because he knew Peter's heart. He knew Peter's heart. Peter was human. You and I are human. We all fail the Lord. We all let the Lord down. But he still loves us unconditionally. And he's willing to meet us however he can meet us to lead us back into that relationship. So three times Peter denies the Lord, three times Peter, I mean, the Lord restores Peter. Restored into his relationship, not only his position of leader, but his relationship with the Lord. Those are, those are just power, powerful thoughts. He's being assured. Peter is being assured by Jesus. So um, as they move forward and they begin to, he begins to follow Jesus, he, he notices that John is following them. And, and in noticing that John is following them, uh, John, again, this is where he actually, uh, in did I say earlier, I said uh, verse 20, I meant 21, chapter 21, verse 20 is what I meant when I said, this is where he uses that word, and Peter turned and saw following them the disciple whom Jesus loved. John wrote that about himself, and he used the phileo term there. So he had used the terms interchangeably there. And he, he, you notice how John's writing about himself, the one whom Jesus loved in the third person, the one who'd lain close to his breast at the supper when he heard, you know, when he asked the Lord who's going to betray. Why is John putting all of his own words back into print here? He's trying to solidify something because he's setting up. He's t- John is now writing about himself. Okay, he had two purposes in chapter 21: to write about Peter's restoration and what. Peter's future was, and he also has to, he's going to write about himself and what his future would be. Now, remember, John didn't just write this down right after it happened. The Gospel of John was probably written 50 years later, okay? Maybe in the, most scholars think maybe in the middle 80s. John maybe lived to the, to the, to the year 100, somewhere around the end of the century, the but he's an old man when he's reflecting on his his uh, life and his interactions, and he's writing the gospel for a completely different purpose than Matthew, Mark, and, and Luke did. And so 
he says here he's gonna he needs to dis- communicate some things about himself in his gospel. So he's making it clear this is talking about John. Nobody would be confused. He was the one that asked the question at the supper, who's it going to betray you? He's the one who always called himself the one whom Jesus loved. He's the one who clearly had this beautiful relationship with Jesus. Peter and Peter and John were good friends, weren't they? Do we you know some of these disciples had never met each other. Jesus walked around Israel and he collected his disciples, called them forth, but Peter, James, and John were partners in the fishing business. Do you remember that? They were actually partners in the fishing business, Scripture tells us, when Jesus met them. So Peter and John have a long history. They know each other. They're very good friends. And so Peter turns, I imagine, in the sobering weight of knowing his own future, that someday he would be crucified. He looks to John, who's kind of always had this, probably amongst the, amongst the 12, maybe a little bit, some of them probably in their humanity thought of a little bit of a favored status, you know? Not that Jesus played favorites, he didn't, but our human nature, we tend to think that sometimes. And what does he say? He asks, well, what about John? What, what about him? And what does John say? John, What does John tell us Jesus says? How does Jesus respond? Yeah, to put it bluntly, what's that to you? <laughs> he said, what's it to you? He, he wants to keep Peter on track here. He says, he says, if it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? Now, why does Jesus throw in this part, if it is my will that he remain until I come? Well, you know, he's trying to show a contrast here. You know, what if he, so so what if John doesn't die and you have to die for me? What What is that to you? I mean, that, could there be more of an ultimate contrast? Why? Now, but John wants to make something very clear here. He follows up by saying, now the saying, this is verse 23, the saying was spread abroad among the brethren that this disciple, that's John himself, was not going to die. It, so clearly, by the time John is writing this, much later in the century, there's been rumors spread around. The teaching has gone around that John is the fa- I mean, all the eleven are the other eleven are dead, including the Apostle Paul. They've been died a horrible martyr's death, but John's growing into an old man. He's living up there in Ephesus and Turkey, taking care of Jesus' mother and all these years and. And he's not going to die. So there's there's kind of a, I think John is writing this for a purpose because he's trying to warn against some type of maybe a what could be called a personality cult. You know, a personality cult. It's kind of becoming, all, John was becoming all probably a bit of a cult following. Well, he's the one that was never going to, it's never going to die. You know? Well, he says, hey, he might to make it clear here. Jesus didn't say that. Jesus didn't say I was never going to die. Jesus said, if I don't die, what is that to you? Or if he doesn't die, what is that to you? So John's making it very clear that this almost cult following that's happening in, in, his, in the people that have followed John throughout the decades, he's no different than anyone else. Jesus never promised John wouldn't die. And Jesus had a specific duty for each one of them to play out. Yes. Instead of, yeah. And, and it makes sense that John didn't die the same death the others did because John had a very special role. He needed to take care of Mary. He took care of Mary, Jesus' mother. And, uh, there, you know, so I think there's a lot for us to take from this. Um, this, is just, this is so full uh, uh, of meaning here. Who was the disciple that invited Peter inside the courtyard at the trial? It was John. 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 So it's quite possible John witnessed the denial. Yes, very possible. Yeah. And Mo- in now, fact, it's probable. I'm now, sure he did. Peter is saying, "Well, what about that guy that was with me?" Yeah. When I denied him or denied Christ. Yeah. I don't, maybe that. No, I'm. You know, why would he pick out John? Yeah. Why would Peter pick out John and say, well, about that guy? Yeah. Why didn't he say, well, what about all the others? Yeah. And if he had, I'm sure Jesus would have said, what's that to you? Okay. What John had, I think there's no question that John seemed to have a special relationship with 
with Jesus. But at least it was in such a way that on John's part, it showed. Jesus didn't show favorites. But Peter, clearly Peter and John were there. They were there together at the fire that night of the betrayal. You know, John's the only, John, John is the, the gospel writer who sheds the most light on that story. Um, but what does that say to us? You know, how many of us do the same thing? We are constantly worried about what about everybody else? You know? Well, but what about them? They don't have to pay the price I have to pay in this life. Or what about them? Everything works out for them, but it doesn't work out for me. I mean, there's so many things we could write this about, right? And what would Jesus say to each of us when, when we want to say that to ourselves? He would say, you know what happens to Mark and Debbie? That's no reflection on you. It's none of your business. I've called you to walk in the way I've called you to walk. Jesus calls each of us to walk a path and he never calls us, and our paths are not the same and he never calls us to walk a path that he can't equip us to walk. Whether that's to die as martyrs or to live beyond our time, maybe in old age when we're senile and we have seemingly nothing to offer and don't remember anything. The reality is whatever the path is marked out for us, it's because Jesus knows what's best for us. And he wants us to focus on that, just like he wanted Peter. Hey, focus on following me. Because the truth is, if we got our eyes on everybody else, we can't follow Jesus. We can't follow our purpose. We can't follow our purpose if we're worried about everybody else's That's purpose. Right. <laughs> so much to, to think of. So with that, with that, John says, let me see if I missed anything here in my notes. I have a lot here. Um, I think I covered it all. Um, Peter, Peter's denials seemed like they were his abdication of his position as leader. And Jesus wanted to restore him in a way that was meaningful. Okay, three times? I'll restore you three times. You can't outdo my grace. You can't outdo my love. You can't outsin my mercy. That's what Jesus is saying. And I, I think we should take that from that example. So Jesus knew that Peter would be the perfect guy to lead the church, the early church, because he knew exactly what it was like to fail the Lord in the most significant way at his very death wouldn't even stand up. I mean, unbelievable. He knew that no matter who would come to the church over the years through Peter and the disciples' ministry, nobody could be a bigger sinner than Peter. You know? Peter's like, can you imagine he could tell the story of how Christ restored him? Uh, it's, a, it's a beautiful story. It's a beautiful story of restoration no matter what happens. It's a beautiful story that that God has a plan for each of us, no matter what happens. And he loves us no matter what happens. Of course, he, Jesus does agape us. <laughs> Jesus loves us unconditionally. And he's asking us that same question, really. Do you love me? Do you agape me? And probably most of us, if we're honest, we're Peter in this. We're still saying, I phileo you. Of course you know I phileo you, Lord. Because we don't feel worthy to say we agape him. We look at our lives and we don't feel like our lives prove out any kind of unconditional love. But yet that's the call of the Christian life. We want to always be on the pursuit of holiness. We want to always be on the pursuit of the deeper inner life to follow Jesus however, wherever, whenever, he calls us. That's the real message of this interaction, I think, with Peter and Jesus in John's last chapter. He closes the letter, he closes the gospel with those final words, you know, saying that I suppose if you tried to write everything down that Jesus ever did, the world couldn't contain it. The world itself could not contain the books that would be written. 
And he closes with the pen saying, this is the disciple who's bearing witness to these things. And I know his testimony is true. You know, that's really the way he closed out his first... um, If you think about his first epistle, 1 John chapter 5, the last line. Does anybody remember what the last line of John chapter... 1 John chapter 5 is? Keep yourselves, brothers... Keep yourselves from idols. Keep yourselves from idols. Well, now he wasn't worried that they were going to fall into pagan worship of stones and rocks, okay? But he was worried that that we, we so easily in this world set up idols. We set up idols out of our family. We set up idols out of our lives, our work, our things, our stuff. We set up idols all the time in this world. Because an idol is anything that keeps us from agape of Jesus. Okay? That's an idol. And he's saying, keep yourselves from that. And that's what he's saying in the end of this chapter, too. Keep yourself from that. Um, Well, that's the end of the Gospel of John. We've spent a little over two years studying it. all the podcasts will be up after I post this one. You can go back to it as often as you want. Pick out different ones. Um, thank you for kind of walking on this journey with me. I loved being on this journey with you. Um, we will study something else next. I haven't picked it out yet. I'm debating between two things. And I'm trying to map out how long they will take and and uh, how that will work. But we will. Uh, I will... Let you know. So actually, we will not meet next week while I'm trying to make this decision. But we'll, of course, stay in communication about how to, what the book to study next. Um, any closing comments, thoughts about the Gospel of John? Thank you. I've learned a lot, and I get to apply this because, and I want to write this down. The Gospel of John throughout the whole thing has taught me about Jesus' unconditional love mm-hmm. and how to love other people. Amen. Thank Amen. You. Amen. I think one of the things that come to my forefront is Jesus died with the purpose of going to the cross. That was his purpose. And has an, he is our example, and we are to follow him. And I think each and every one of us are born with that same purpose. Mm-hmm. We have to mm-hmm. go to the cross carry our burdens there. Mm-hmm. He wants to help carry the burdens there to die. Yes. And then we'll have that new life. We're born again. Yes. Each Amen. one of us have that within us. That is our purpose, our goal, mm-hmm. to get to the cross Yeah. and die to self. Like Absolutely. We're called to die. We are definitely called to die, just like he was. And I want to give you this closing thought. Along the way, of that life that you're describing, Debbie, that we're called to. I think the Gospel of John teaches us that we are called to a way that is a mystery. We are called, we are invited in to the divine life of God Himself. Because you know, you and I can't do that. We can't go to our cross ourselves. We don't have the strength. We can't follow Him unconditionally. We don't have the strength. We can't love him unconditionally. We don't have the strength. But we're invited into the divine life of God. Peter got that. That's why in Peter's epistle he says, we have become partakers of the divine nature. Peter got that. That's what it's all about. Christianity is a lot less about what we believe and more about how we believe. We believe in the spirit and the power of the Holy Spirit to participate in the life of Christ in this world. And boy, when people see that in us, if we get that, people will see it in us. Mm -hmm. And people are drawn to it. That's why the church grew like wildfire. Because people were literally living the life of Christ out. They were dying for people, uh, literally, uh, to spread the gospel. Well, thank you so much for your time. I want to encourage you. You know, one of the most beautiful examples in my life of, of the love of Christ was H.O. Lytle, mm-hmm. who passed away last night. 
uh, H.O. Lytle, uh, passed away last night peacefully, very peacefully. Uh, Connie had texted me. I texted her and was saying, I'm praying for you. I knew that they'd made a decision. They were going to unhook him. She said, well, actually, we're going to unhook him right now from life support. And then within just literally a few minutes, it was like he's gone. So he didn't linger. It was time mm-hmm. just to let go. Let go and be in the arms of Jesus. So keep them. I don't know anything about the service other than that will be here next week. But uh, keep them in your prayers as they uh, walk through this valley. Brad, will you also share? Oh, yes. Richard North is in that valley. Richard North is within days. It looks like within days. Who knows? Maybe that means hours, too. I don't know. But back in Ohio. And Richard's a very dear friend to those of us who knew him and to me particularly to serve with him. He's just impacted my life in a huge way. I love that guy so much. So Jeremy, uh, his son Jeremy called when I, the other day and yeah. When I think of Richard North, I think of Jesus. When I think of H. O. Lytle, I think of Jesus. They these men just exuded the love of Christ in their lives. The gentle spirit the, uh, you know, they weren't perfect. They were humans. And mm-hmm. None of us are perfect in that sense. But wow, they showed me Jesus. So pray for them all and their families. Also, yes. I wanted to add, and I, that's why I love this class and you guys and what you have taught me and what Christ has taught me is um, yesterday morning at 4.30, my ex-husband, who was very abusive and had alcohol problem and his dad was a deacon, but he knew the Lord but he could not um, accept his own. He was a Vietnam vet. Katie mm. was standing at his bedside, mm. and she read scripture to him. He passed away. Oh, wow. And he was only 67. He had liver mm-hmm. failure. And I had forgiven him. And the only thing that I want to say is that it's not about what we do. It yeah. is about loving other people and loving yeah. as Christ loves us. And people who don't know the love of Christ, he could not get past him not being good enough for Christ. Wow. And so anyway, during the, when Katie was doing that, and I was so proud of her, the tornado hit Sunday, her apartment mm-hmm. complex with the kids there. So, wow. but it's amazing that God mm-hmm. brings everybody together. And I'm going to go be supportive. And well, we'll pray for you in that. Thank you. Pray for them. But thank you guys. Yeah. Let's close in prayer. Father in heaven, thank you for the gift of the gospel of John, for the gift of your word, your true presence made flesh Mm -hmm. among us in this beautiful mystery that we call faith in Christ. Help us to follow you as you called Peter and the others. Help us to just keep our eyes on you and to follow you wherever you lead as long as we have breath, to give you praise, to sing your praise, and to follow you. We ask this and all these things and prayers for these who are walking through this valley of the shadow of death and, and needing your great love and comfort. We ask this now in the strong name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, your Son, who lives and reigns with you, Father, and the Holy Spirit, one God forever and ever and unto ages of ages. Amen. Amen.